Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and we are Stranger Than. Coming at you today with something we mentioned in the last regular episode, the smiley face murder theory. That's right. I'm going to go a little bit more in depth than just briefly mentioning it. It was in the Chris Jenkins episode that we spoke about it initially, and uh, him being possibly one of the victims of the smiley face killer or killers. To put it very simply, the smiley face murder theory is an explanation of the deaths of college-age men found apparently drowned. Nearly all of these cases are already closed and not considered mysterious by authorities, though some of the victims' families believe otherwise. Usually, the victim is found in a body of water, apparently drowned, and in 22 instances, a piece of smiley face graffiti is in the vicinity of where the body was discovered. In some cases, the word sinsiniwa was found instead of or in addition to the smiley face. Victims have been found in the northeast and midwest of the United States, but similar deaths have been reported in Canada and in the UK. The first case was Pat McNeil in New York, 1997. Retired New York City detective Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte, along with Dr. Lee Gilbertson, came up with this theory after seeing a pattern in some deaths. Dr. Gilbertson is a criminal justice professor at St. Cloud University. They believe that there is a group running around killing white male college students. In nearly all the cases, the deaths have been ruled accidental, and alcohol is also involved. They believe the motive to be jealousy of those who the killers believe to have privilege. And there is a fourth guy involved too, right? Yeah, the uh, fourth to join the team was a retired NYP detective, uh, Michael Donovan. So the four of them make up this team and they actually have a website that you can check out. And I believe they offer their services not just on these particular deaths, but any uh, case where maybe uh, you need a fresh set of eyes or whatever, like some, you want somebody to go over some evidence. Uh, it's called Global Death Investigators at www.gdinvestigations.com. And so they're basically murder privatized, kind of. Like, if a death occurs and you don't like the results, then these are the guys you call to try and get what you know to investigate and see if that's actually what happened or if there was something else happening right i mean i think that's happened in a lot of these cases and um you know i mean it happens in cases all all over the place all the time where people feel like the police just haven't done a good enough job and so they hire a private investigator and yeah, often yeah. it's retired law enforcement and so um, I think that's kind of the services that they're offering if you want somebody to take a another uh, in-depth look at something that you don't think has been resolved satisfactorily, then... Yeah. yeah. Most of the funding for the police, I believe, goes more into equipment and stuff like that, not so much into better ways to detect things or better ways to, you know, figure things out. And the police officers probably also have a bunch of cases they're working and so they're just 
closing them what they can and just getting them off their desk. Yeah. The victim that kicked this all off, Patrick McNeil, disappeared after a night of drinking at The Dapper Dog, a bar in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It was February 16th, early February 17th, 1997, that he went missing. McNeil was described by his friends as a ladies' man and by his professors as a hard worker. After college, he wanted to join the FBI, and uh, so pretty much it was sometime late that evening that he puked in the bar bathroom and decided, I'm going to leave. After you puke, it's usually a good time to go home. So yes. He, yeah, in nearly all cases. He goes out of the bar, and he's waiting for one of his friends. They're both going to take the subway home together. But she didn't get out of the bar in time. Maybe he was drunk. Well, he was obviously drunk, but maybe he just like was drunkenly impatient and left before she got out there. Or perhaps she just got was wasted and decided and forgot she was going to meet him out there. I don't know. But he ends up stumbling up Second Avenue on his own. A van that had been double parked nearby crawled down the street after McNeil. And when he took a right on East 90th Street, the van stopped and then took a right on East 90th as well. There were some witnesses that saw this last thing that happened, and those were the last people to ever see him alive, as you know, except for whoever made him not alive. Made him not alive, yeah. Gannon was one of the detectives assigned to the case, and after finding no leads and putting up missing persons posters all over Upper Manhattan, McNeil's body finally showed up floating in the East River near the Brooklyn Pier about a month later. Almost two months later. The autopsy was performed by the medical examiner, who concluded that his cause of death was undetermined. They did determine that his blood alcohol content was 0.16, and so at the time it was probably closer to 0.12 because right, of... Decomp will increase your blood alcohol level by about 0.4. And the official story by the NYPD is that McNeil was left the bar drunk going to the subway and he just fell into the East River and drowned. Now, there was a, some other strange things about his body. Well, first and foremost, he was found floating face up. so. Floating on his back, which you almost never see in drowning victims. Probably because the lungs fill with water and that sort of pulls you more face down. You, you float on your back. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's a back <laughs> float. It's the easiest thing. I, can, I can't really swim, but I can back float. No problem. Right. It's really right. easy. When you drown, this is coming off of an article in CrimeMagazine.com by Eponymous Rocks. When you drown after uh, your lungs fill with fluid and, you know, you are dead, essentially, you will drift to the bottom. But just because of how we, you know, our anatomy, we will be in a semi-fetal position as we're falling towards the, the bottom of whatever body of water that the person is in. And once you're dead, uh, lividity begins, and that's the pooling of the blood. Since your heart is no longer pumping it, 
all the blood starts pooling and, you know, gravity pulls it down. So it's going to be pulling it towards your face and your stomach. And after a certain amount of time, and this, I found out this depends on the temperature of the water, the colder the water is, the longer it takes for you to float back up. And this would probably be because the colder it is, the the more it slows the uh, decomposition process. However, eventually you will float back up, but you will almost always be face down because that pooling of blood acts almost as like a ballast that keeps you head down, face down in the water. And so that's why it's incredibly weird for Patrick McNeil and most of a lot of these alleged victims have been found floating on their back. So it just totally goes against how, uh, you know, a person who's truly drowned is supposed to surface. Patrick McNeil, even if you're trying to uh, rationalize like, OK, maybe, you know, just for whatever reason, he did drown and the blood pooling would be towards his back if he you know floated up and was facing upwards. There was no lividity on his back. So no blood pooling. So no reason uh really that he would be floating face up that way the other things that were unusual were the fact that uh there was multiple fly eggs found on his body so that would mean that he would have had to have been dead on land for enough time for flies to land and lay eggs on his body before being put into the water, which caused the eggs to not hatch. Now, there are some critters that live in the water that could lay eggs. Right. However, not the flies that they found, not the, the, the eggs that right. they found on him. Right. These were from, you know, land land flies. <laughs> <laughs> like just common housefly kind of kind of thing. Right. The, the flies that norm, I mean, that insect activity starts pretty quickly after oh, yeah. uh, you're dead. But it does take, a, a, you know, at least some, some time for them to, you know, gather and uh, lay eggs. And then at that point uh, is when his body would have had to been put in the water. But he definitely would have had to have been dead first. Uh, flies don't come along and lay eggs on you all over your body uh, when you're living. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. At least not the type that are, you know, generally, uh, you know, do this thing when you're dead. Something shitty has happened if you've got flies laying eggs all over your body and you're still alive. Right. Yeah. That's awful. But yeah, I think it's blowflies is uh, what they're called. Looking at the autopsy photos, it seemed as though he might have had a ligature uh, around his neck. And then the medical examiner had noted that his face and chest were blackened, which um, they had noted to be because of exposure and decomp. However, uh, to Gannon and the a forensic pathologist who looked at the case again, uh, it seemed to be more like charring, like a thermal injury, as in a burn. That's, uh, it's weird that that wasn't more talked about, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a bigger deal because 
undetermined death and he looks like he's got a burn and he's got these fly eggs and he's not in the right way to be drowned and they're like meh i don't know case closed yeah it's ridiculous that it happened that way and it it actually wasn't until 2009 that ganon was actually able to look at these photos that they were actually released to him to look at and the doctor that looked at it with it dr uh Cyril wecht he definitely felt that the um the black marks were anti-mortem that means before he was dead while alive uh thermal injuries and that they were caused by some type of fire or burning while patrick was secured to an object by a ligature about his neck and they felt that that object was likely a chair since uh it seemed like his back was untouched so a ligature is like a it would be like a rope would be a ligature so if they just Mm -hmm. had him tied to a chair by his neck Mm-hmm. And then, like, torched him, like, maybe yeah. had some hairspray and a lighter or, you know, dumped gas on him or something and then lit him on fire for a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, who who knows? Any any number of things. Yeah. Awful. Yeah, none, nothing that would be very comfortable, I'm sure. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's really weird that it was just kind of like, oh. Blackened skin must must be decomp and exposure. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, so many things don't add up about this case. Hypothermia see... could make your skin black, right? But not charred. And again, that would have to be um, hypothermia while you were still alive, and that's usually over an extended period of time. Yeah, yeah. Your skin doesn't just turn black right away. I mean, no, it's not like a banana. No, <laughs> put a banana in a freezer; it turns black right away. Yeah, so I just don't understand how this was just um, written off. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of mind-boggling. There's a couple other um, cases. Now, there is an Oxygen series that you can uh, watch on TV or your streaming devices or what have you. It's called Smiley Face Killers, The Hunt for Justice, and it featured uh, six of the cases that uh, this team um, feels are are definitely homicides and not just accidental drownings. Yes, especially, I mean, with accidental drownings, I would at least expect that the damn... It would be drownings, you know? I mean, right. it seems like when you drown, you've got water in your lungs. Mm-hmm. And many of these people don't have water in their lungs, but they're still That's like, ah, right. drowned, whatever. That's right. So one that did not have any evidence of water in the lungs would be Brian Welzin. He disappeared uh, New Year's Day. 2000. He was 21 years old. He had been out celebrating the New Year in Chicago, Illinois. His body was not found until 77 days after he went missing, and it was found uh, on a beach in Gary, Indiana. And that's about uh, 30 miles from where he had disappeared. The police uh, felt that He must have been intoxicated and fallen into Lake Michigan, drowned, and then his body uh, traveled 
by current or whatever. By current. Yeah. Well, I'm sure like Michigan, you know, empties into some rivers, probably several. It's a big lake. Probably the Mississippi. Doesn't the Mississippi go all the way up? Um, I think so. I'm yeah, not sure. Neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> My geography on major rivers in the U.S. is pretty lacking. Yeah, that's true. I know where the Columbia <laughs> River is. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, if you don't know where the Columbia River is, like, growing up where we did, like, that's pretty sad. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty sad. Um. No, I believe I'm, I'm, that on our Pirates episode, we actually talked about, I think it was Lake Michigan that had uh, one of the pirates that did pirate shit and got chased around by the U.S. Navy for a while. Yeah, probably. I, I'm pretty sure that was Lake Michigan that they were they were in because that's the one that Chicago is on. Yeah, Chicago is right yeah. on Lake Michigan. And yeah, that's yeah. why it's so bitterly uh, cold and windy is all the uh, wind coming off of the lake. Because yeah. Lake Michigan is a big ass lake. It's a big I, ass lake. I fully imagine that when the first people saw that, they were like, "No, this is part of the ocean." <laughs> yes. Well, that maybe that's why they're called the Great Lakes because they're great. They are big. Yeah, yeah. Those <laughs> great are some, big lakes. No, oh yeah, those are some crazy shit. Now, this is off of an article, uh, www.fox32chicago.com. Uh, they interview the uh, detective who found the body. Uh, he's probably in one of the uh, water recovery units because uh, police actually do have people assigned to do specifically uh, bodies that are uh, you know, in water and recovering them. My son has a one of his close friends. Uh, this kid's stepdad uh, does that out in out in Washington. He does a uh, water recovery. Oh so. yeah, I mean places like Washington, Oregon, California. I mean all any coast places, places near big bodies of water, like giant lakes and shit. Mm -hmm. I mean they gotta have that because getting at bodies in the water provide a whole different set of forensic challenges and just physical challenges of getting the damn mm -hmm. bodies. I mean, I'm sure sometimes yeah. they've got to have divers down there and probably like underground or, or underwater welders and all kinds of crazy shit. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a pretty specialized thing to do. So this detective that uh, found and recovered the body it's uh, Detective Sergeant William Fazekas, and you have to imagine that he probably has quite a bit of experience at knowing how long a body has been in water just from the initial, uh, just from when he initially comes into contact with it, because yeah. he's probably pulled a lot of bodies out of water. Just from experience, yeah. Yeah. So, supposedly... He'd been in the water for 77 days, but when the detective saw him, he thought that maybe the body had been in, in the water at a week at the most. Right. Also, um, after the autopsy was done, he said that there was some troubling information discovered that there was no water in his lungs. And he's quoted to say, uh, we had some troubling questions, said Detective Fazekas. If this is supposed to be a drowning, why is there no water in the lungs? End quote. 
pretty good question, I'd say. Yeah, it's a damn good question. So this wasn't just something that was limited to the team of uh, global death investigations. It was the officer that was, you know, the detective on the scene working the case also felt that this was really weird. A load of malarkey, if I do say so myself. <laughs> yes. Um, now, when global uh, death investigations did look at the evidence, the medical examiner found no fluid in the lungs and no sand found in the stomach. Often, um, when you're churning around in the water, you're drowning. Not only do you inhale the water, but you know you also uh, swallow it in large amounts. And often, there's you know sediment which would be sand, uh, swallowed as well. So not only do is it usual to find water in the lungs, but also water and sand in the stomach. But neither of those uh, things were found. And this time it was Dr. Gilbertson that looked at the photos and estimated that Brian had probably been in the water no more than 36 hours. Wow. So. Uh a far cry from 77 days. Yes. So what was happening to him those 77 days that he was missing, the other like 72 or 73 days that he had been missing? Nobody knows. And there's no sign of trauma on the corpse? Uh, not that I read on this case. Nothing released, at least. It didn't say no ligatures or anything mm -hmm. like that. And the detective, uh, Detective Fazekas, is still, you know, looking for leads. But obviously, uh, since it's been, you know, many, many years since this happened, uh, I'm sure there there really isn't a whole lot to follow up on. Just yeah. that I think he he believes as well as as this team that this wasn't just an accidental drowning. The leads are weak at this point. Yeah, I think the leads are weak in all of these cases. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. I mean, not only is it that they can't seem to get it to be changed to be homicide. I mean, the one that they did, the one we talked about last time, Chris Jenkins, the only one to have gotten a, a change in the um, cause of death from, you know, accidental or undetermined to homicide. They still, I mean, it, it it's the right cause of death now, but no new leads. Right. It's great. It's great. I have one more that I wanted to touch on. This would be the case of Dakota James. And he disappeared on January 25th, 2017. So this is a recent one. He was 23 at the time of his disappearance and death. He was a uh, graduate student at Duquesne University. And that's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He was walking back to his apartment after a night out drinking with friends, and the last uh, known sighting of him was some surveillance camera. The recording captured him entering an alleyway while looking down at his phone, and that is the last time he was seen. He was missing for 40 days before his body was found floating in the Ohio River, about 10 miles from the last time he was sighted. The police theory is that Dakota had fallen into the river while crossing a bridge near the city center, and the medical examiner did rule this as an accidental drowning. 
Now, here is what did not add up. Dakota was an accomplished swimmer, uh, captain of the swim team, in fact. So even drunk and falling into a cold river, there's a pretty damn good chance he was would have been able to swim to shore. Right. I mean, when you are on the swim team, you, I mean, that that's kind of like second nature. Like, you just... You just know what to do, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, you're... It's I'm something sh- you... You've you're like a fucking sea otter. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that's number one weird thing. Uh, number two is that his body is believed to have drifted 10 miles. Like the point they think that he went into the water and where his body was discovered would have had to travel through a dam. And yet his body did not show any visible signs of damage that you would see. I mean, it's possible to go through a dam. I mean, usually they have the, it's like the big cement wall with some spouts coming out and the water pouring down. I don't know if they were large enough to have a body shoot through them or if they're thinking like maybe he went up and over somehow, but um Either way, uh, you know, once you go down this long drop against a concrete wall, then it's kind of like a, it's like a waterfall down there. It, it would mess a body up. There would be some kind of evidence. And probably evidence on the dam, too. Yeah. It goes through all kinds of things to prevent big old things from traveling through the dam that may fuck it up. So mm-hmm. I imagine that inside the workings of the dam, it's got... It's not going to just let that through. I mean, and they're normally there to make hydroelectric energy. And so mm-hmm. you wouldn't want like a log getting in there and fucking up your turbines or some shit. Right. You want the water flow to be consistent. Yeah. So you'd think you'd have some way to keep shit out of there. And also like fish and stuff, you know, the bigger mm-hmm. fish. And so I'm sure that there's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's super weird. And I don't, I don't think a body could have made it through a dam. Right. Not and in then- one piece at least. Right, and then even if it did, it would show probably some significant damage oh, from yeah. having been spit out and a long drop and into really uh, churny, choppy water like that. Yeah, I'm sure there would have been some sort of indication of that the body wouldn't, wouldn't have been in the shape it was in. It would have been in a worse shape. Right, yes. So, um, so yeah, it's just kind of weird how they're just like, nah, it, it must have happened somehow, like... Yeah, we'll just we're not ig- sure we'll just how, ig- but right. We'll just ignore the fact that there's like this big giant dam that like blocks the entire river from like you know point A to point B from where he said he traveled. Like, yeah, and we're just not going to at least, uh, you know, not even worry about it. Just don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. It's fine. It'll a- be fine. We're all fine. Allow here. for a theory that like, oh well, perhaps, perhaps. No, he was no. alive and he was placed in the water at some point after the dam. That sounds like a lot more work and paperwork and stuff. Yeah. And uh, not a lot. Of, yeah. Nah, nah. He just floated down river. It's fine. He just floated down river. Yeah. Went right through that dam. No right to that dam. All. No mm-hmm. damage. Damn damage. Also, uh, when the uh, team looked at the autopsy photos... They uh, saw what they thought to be ligature marks on his neck and discoloration of some of his fingernail beds. So Gannon, Dr. Gilbertson, and Dr. Gilbertson 
consulted with a forensic pathologist, uh, the same one, uh, Cyril Wecht. And this was the conclusion he came to was that, quote, uh, the marks were, quote, strongly suggestive of and entirely consistent with a ligature having been applied around the neck. This death may have been due to ligature strangulation. End quote. He also noted, quote, distinct difference in the coloration of the fingernail beds of the fourth and fifth fingers on both the right and left hands, which certainly would be consistent with someone reaching up and trying to release the pressure from a ligature that is being applied around their neck, end quote. Now, the fourth and fifth fingers, that's like your ring finger and your pinky finger, right? I believe so, yes. That just seems like a weird thing to grab like why would you try and grab the the thing around your neck with those fingers why wouldn't you go for your pointer finger and your middle finger your stronger fingers oh i mean i feel like um i thought you meant the opposite the ring finger and the pinky finger no um i'm not sure how they count fingers i'm pretty sure i mean the i know how they count toes and number one is the big toe so i imagine your thumb it would be number one and then so okay. four and five would be your ring finger and your pinky finger okay well try to imagine this right now that you have something like put your hands like up to where oh yeah i guess you're right yeah, i know you what you're see? talking about now you see yeah. where i'm talking about when you put your so, hands up against your throat it's actually like your pinky and your it is like the fourth and fifth that are kind of yeah at you that can, spot where you would be trying to like dig under yeah that's true so if you put your if you put your hands up to your to your chest like you got something around your neck your thumbs are on the outside of your body and so mm -hmm. you'd be kind of digging where that little uh like that kind of a where your breastplate starts and there's that little mm -hmm. soft area you're probably trying to get your pinky fingers under there to gain some purchase on the rope yeah the only way it would be like your um your pointer and index finger would be like is if your your palms were facing out and that wouldn't be a normal no way that to do wouldn't that. be a good way to actually get it yeah no right mm -hmm. totally i can see that so gannon and dakota's mother pamela took this report and they met with the district attorney now it seemed that the district attorney uh this was all part of uh, one of the episodes of the show, and so the district attorney had agreed to meet with them off camera. But it seemed that after the meeting, the district attorney was pretty convinced that this case warranted further investigation. However, uh, the district attorney's office can't move the investigation forward uh, without the medical examiner concurring with the assessment and is the, what, um, emmy is just Gannon's dragging saying. their dragging their feet well uh the i got this off of oxygen.com and it says that the the allegheny county medical examiner's office has not reported has not reopened dakota's case but it has agreed to review additional evidence related to Dakota's death. But that's huh. all that's happened so far. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably, like, even put further on the back burner with the whole coronavirus thing. Yeah, I mean, you got to think that, gosh, what are we in now? November? Yeah, it's been uh, basically a year Yeah, I mean, since we're, it was we're... first announced that there was this crazy virus coming out of China. 
Yeah, it was uh, towards the end of December, I think, when I first uh, got wind of it on the internet. Um, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's when it was. But still, but still yeah, it didn't but yeah, we're getting close. So yeah, we're getting close uh, to a year where things have been uh, pretty much not happening. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's even with how little shit is happening, cases are still spiking all over the world, including in Russia, where they quote unquote have two vaccines. <laughs> But there's cases just spiked quite a bit, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting, and it might be a while yet before things are back to normal. And you oh, know, yeah. with stuff like this, it's amazing how long and drawn out these things can be. So even even when they're like, yeah, we'll look, we'll take another look at it again. It's like that's not meaning like, oh, we're gonna start doing that next week. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> It's it's painfully slow, like investigations and, and the like, and and stuff, especially when it's like not a a fresh new case. Oh yeah, yeah. Saying saying we're gonna reopen and take another look at it. Well, yeah, that's who knows. Yeah, in addition to all the other cases that they have that are all the not stuff that's cold. coming in. Yeah, who knows when that might happen? Well, it was two thousand eight when these guys went public with their theory. At that time, they had 40 victims they believed to be part of the smiley face killings. I believe uh, in 2010, they are at like 155 or something, but now they're at 335. That's a lot. As mentioned before, yeah, that's a shitload. I mean, not as many as are getting lost in national parks, but with a very similar attention paid to them. As mentioned before, these deaths are ruled as accidental drownings. It's always white college men, and 99.9% of the time, GHB is found in their system. GHB is gamma-hydroxybutyrate and is also known as a date-rape drug. It's one of the date-rape drugs. It's colorless, it's odorless, and will incapacitate a person when mixed with alcohol. It's pretty much like super booze. It, It amplifies the effects. It amplifies the effects. A lot. It gets you super fucked up. You take a bit of GHB and put it in a beer, and it's like you took 10 shots of something in, in you know, 20 minutes or something. It's it's crazy. And so it and it presents just like a person who is drunk. So someone who's fucked up on GHB, put them next to a drunk person, and they're going to be acting the same. Mm-hmm. With the exception that the person with a GHB will be significantly more fucked up because, you know, it's GHB. And then the way, I mean, it's unlike some of date rape drugs, it doesn't make you more compliant. It just makes you unresponsive, basically. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, people can do what they will. Makes one drink like 12. Yeah, yeah. Though GHB is not usually tested for in postmortem, families of the victims can and do sometimes request that the test be done uh, during the autopsy, if they suspect foul play or whatever. Sometimes a family has gotten samples from their from their loved one and then taken it to this to the group these guys that are investigating the Smiley's case murders and they did independent tests to get the results but in most cases it's found to be a little bit more GHB or about the same amount of GHB that naturally occurs in the body during decomposition apparently de- you know, decomposing body is a real party there's booze, there's GHB, 
I mean, it's a fucking, it's a fucking thing. It's just a, a chemical clusterfuck going it's, on. It is. It's like there. a rave. It's like a, it's like a rave. <laughs> I mean, these guys are basically saying that these people are getting kidnapped, held for some time, and then released into the water. Perhaps they're being dumped into the water to wash away evidence. Though, I mean, some blood would wash off, but in some cases, it it can actually preserve evidence, like in very cold water. It will preserve a lot of things. Fingerprints can be recovered off of a body that's been in the water. Fibers can be recovered. There's even some blood that can be recovered because it doesn't all wash off. Right. And there's a chemical test you can do for, like, trace amounts. Yeah. Yeah. So to dump them in the water to cover anything up is there would be real no real reason to do it well i mean i i think um i mean we're talking now we're we're getting into that uh that 2010 article from the center for homicide research so 2010 in kind of in response to the going public of these cases the center for homicide research made a very long 12 page article on what was it like 18 um reasons like debunking the smiley face killer theory and that is like yeah that water doesn't wash away all the evidence no it doesn't but i mean i feel like it does some i mean i feel like well there's even if it doesn't wash off evidence it makes it it makes it so it's impossible to tell where it's going to show up like where did it go and where did it show up they don't know there's no way to tell it's just wherever it is so Mm -hmm. they if you dump it in the water, I mean, they don't, you don't really have any, it, it's going to travel on its own. It's going to travel. So it makes it a lot harder to see where it is. And like, um, like when you think about, think about a body being found on land, like wherever it's dumped, uh, the area is roped off so that not only are they looking for evidence on the body, but in the surrounding area. Yeah. Say it's dumped in a dumpster. They're going to check the dumpster. They're going to check for footprints. They're going to look in the cans Tire around tracks. it. Tire tracks. Yeah. Uh, any f- camera footage. Now you mm-hmm. find it in a river and it's going to float probably. I mean, it's going to mm-hmm. travel down river. And so you don't know how long it's been in the river. Even if you do know how long it's been in the river, it's, you can only really guess right where it went in. Right. So, so that leaves a much wider, I mean, it's, it makes it much more difficult to um, pinpoint where it came in and try to investigate like the scene of the crime. You can't so search every single uh, camera in a city you know it's just not for at a time i mean maybe you could if you knew exactly like it happened on this day at this time then maybe you could do it but if you've got like a window of even a couple hours i mean you can't just feasibly sit there and watch all this footage if you can even get it all with that loose of a thing you know no i mean the only time that it it that comes into play with these cases is when uh you with the victim, you knew exactly where they they last were and when they were last seen, and then that sometimes causes them to be able to be picked up on surveillance because they have a specific time window and an area that they're looking at. But after that, like, there's just no way to try and track what happens after they're, they're last seen, and certainly... All these days or months later, 
And say there yeah. is a camera trained on the water where the body's found, and you do watch the footage. What you're probably going to see is a body slowly floating up, floating up on camera, and then to wherever it was found. Mm-hmm. Unlikely, you're going to actually see people putting it there. It's, you're not going to find the body that fast, likely. Well, and then uh, they seem to be pretty eager just to write it off as a drowning. So yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's like oh, it's a drowning. Fuck you know, it. not even probably checking, in my opinion. And now that kind of brings us to the next point about the smiley face itself. The smiley face was invented in 1963 by Forrest Gump while he was on his long run. Or maybe it was Harvey Ross Ball that was hired by an insurance company for an internal morale boosting campaign. It, <laughs> it was it was the latter, not the former. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think he you're made, right about that. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. He made 45 <laughs> bucks for his design, which would be about $383 today. So it's been around for a while. It's an easy-ass thing to draw, and it's Mm -hmm. one of the most common things graffitied worldwide. Oh, yeah. Now, you can tell how old paint is, but it's not very specific. And I'm not clear as to whether they can tell about the year it was applied or about the year that the paint was actually manufactured. Mm -hmm. But it's not something that you could feasibly and reliably put someplace where these bodies are going to turn up unless you had someone like watching the body float and then finding where like oh they saw it quick let's run down and make a quick smiley face or something yeah like i gotta get down there and do it they gotta they got a team watching like for the the news right breaking news body found it's like get down there now. put a smiley face up there uh, also the smiley faces aren't the same they're not made with the same hand it didn't look like with the exception of them being smiley faces they are in Mm -hmm. in no way similar i was gonna say that uh you know if somebody handed me a spray a can of spray paint um and we're like hey draw some graffiti that was probably like the first thing i would draw is a smiley face yeah i've got kind of this simple stick penguin that i can draw and that's actually probably where i would go but a smiley face would be a close second uh, penguin, that's an unusual response. I don't, I wasn't expecting that. Well, uh, I'm unusual. <laughs> the other graffiti found, Sinsinawa, is a Native American word which means rattlesnake. Now, to just say it's a Native American word is a pretty broad thing. I mean, there are many, many different languages that that were spoken by the different Native American tribes. So I don't know where they came up with Rattlesnake or who it was specifically that they were translating that from, but I did get a Sioux translation for the word, and it means home of the young eagle of the young eagle in their language. In contemporary America, it is the name of a city in Wisconsin and then street names in cities all across the country. So it's a somewhat common word. Hmm. Let's not be a Northwest thing, because I don't think I've ever heard the word before. Uh, there is, I believe, a, a Cincinnati Avenue someplace in, the, in, in Washington. I don't know where. I can't remember where specifically, but I do believe there was. So, I mean, it makes, it makes sense. And in many places, there are Native American names for things. I mean, Puyallup. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Seattle, all that shit. Well, yeah. I mean, if someone was, you know, putting like hoquiam all over things, I would be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, holy shit. <laughs> the graffiti thing, like as being able to identify them. Now, if there was like a smiley face tattooed on the body or if they were placed more purposefully and there was a smiley face graffiti nearby or, you know, Cinewa or whatever. I could see that as being more likely the act of a, you know, an act done by people. Yeah, like a signature. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think the paper makes a valid point there that there's, you know, they're never the same. Uh, Also, I think they mentioned, and which is totally true, is that like if you, when you're talking about bodies recovered from rivers, there's almost always bridges going over rivers and there's almost always graffiti on the bridges so oh, yeah it's, it's an easy place to hide you know, spray paint mm-hmm, shit you know the man yeah. can't see it so easily nor can you know any people who want to narc your ass out so the fact that there's graffiti found near where these bodies are recovered isn't you know wholly significant in itself because there's always uh graffiti almost almost always graffiti on bridges and there's almost always bridges going over bodies of water so oh yeah damn damn near you're bound to find one in almost every uh in every case in every circumstance you know when i go walking around and stuff when it gets nicer out in the next you know seven years or whatever i will be paying more attention and seeing about different graffitis and smiley faces and stuff like that just to just to keep an eye out Mm-hmm. Uh, not because I think there's a body, but just to you know see how many smiley faces there really are out there. Right. There's probably a lot, I would imagine. Now, I I had a problem with some of the stuff in this paper. Like, right. I feel like it was a little dismissive and and like like the whole auto assassination theory. Yeah, that's just that's foolish. Now, auto assassination, you know, like autoimmune or autoerotic asphyxiation, it's you know something you do to yourself. So auto assassination is basically killing yourself. It's it's suicide. But it's, it's more like a passive suicide. Yeah, you're not going to go cut your wrists, but you're going to get super fucked up all the time and just get as high as you can and and, and not care. But that's fairly common for people of that age. I right, mean, and I don't think that it's something where it's like I don't care about life anymore. I'm just going to keep getting fucked up until something bad happens to me. I think that's just that's just being uh like in your young in your early 20s and some people like to live fast. And right. Normally people calm down, but sometimes they get sports cars or motorcycles and they live fast <laughs> in a different way. But Right. It's just it's just kind of silly the idea that like so many of these kids were just kind of like, well, I just don't care if I live or die. I'm just yeah. going to, you know, I, that's, engage yeah. in this risky behavior and I'm just like, no, I think that's just that's just part of being young is you just don't realize the deadly consequences of your actions yeah yeah it's not like really far-fetched that yeah somebody could uh, be drunk and stumble into a river and drown it's just that so many of them uh happening and uh kind of dismissing you know the weird facts about it and to say that it might be some kind of uh 
you know, beha- behavioral problem on their end that they just didn't care whether they lived or died was just right. a little ridiculous to me. Like it seems like Hanlon's razor sort of comes into into to mind at this. It's never a tribute to malice. What can be explained by stupidity? So mm-hmm. they're not maliciously trying to passively kill themselves. They're just kind of dumb. You know, right. I mean, this we all were. Jesus Christ. Yeah, they're just unaware of the consequences of their, um, you know, of what can happen if you are out drinking and you end up alone and, you know, anything could happen to you. And, and I think something's happening to these kids, but, you know... Just what I don't know, but yeah, uh, I definitely, I I don't, I definitely don't think they're drowning, but yeah, I equally don't think that it's some cabal of murderers that are killing off college-aged white men, drunk college-aged white men. Right. I mean, there is well, only point two percent of murders are drowning murders, and right. that's usually parents drowning kids under eight years old. This is true. This is true. They had some pretty specific statistics on that. So this paper was done in 2010. And at that time, uh, for the 21 years previous, they could only attribute 117 homicides by drowning to the age group uh, that these young men are in. All the other ones were... um, either a spouse, uh, like a husband drowning a wife in the bathtub, or most of them were uh, parents drowning their children. Now, I could see, I could easily see how a drunk guy is walking home by a river, he's got to pee, pees in the river and falls in. In the wintertime, especially in snowy places, the snow can kind of overhang the river, so you're never Mm -hmm. actually on you're not on land. It's because, you know, the snow kind of piles up with the river still going and creates a false ledge. And so you stand on this ledge, take a leak, and bam, you go in. And if it's a swift enough river and it's cold enough, it's not going to take long before you're unable to do shit. And at least around here, you know, so there's the, there's the river that's down by my house. I think it's the Snoqualmie River. And walking along that, there is no obstacle keeping you out of the river. Sometimes there's like bushes and shit in the way, but there is no fence or anything like that. Even Mm -hmm. where the boat launches, like there is no obstacle in your way to get into that river. And also the Burt Goman Trail, which runs from, you know, the Microsoft campus down to the University of Washington campus is the same way. There is nothing blocking you. I can't think of any portion of that trail that I've been on, and I've been on damn near all of it that has any way keeping you off of out of the water except for just like bushes or tall grass or, you know, just mud hindering you from getting there. So mm-hmm. I could see easily being completely shit faced and falling into the water there. Now, neither of those rivers, I think, are well, maybe the Snoqualmie River is fast enough to drown in. But I mean, the river by the Burt Gumman Trail is probably pretty. <laughs> it's pretty benign river. It doesn't go very fast. Here's what's weird, though, is that. um well, that definitely makes sense, and I'm sure it happens all the time. Um, many of these cases, it's uh, the they're found with their uh, pants on, their shirts even tucked in and zipped up. So, yeah, so you would think no, if that yeah. were the circumstance where they were just drunk and going to go take a piss by the river and they fall in, 
Unless I mean, they didn't get their dick out. And like if they fell in, like they basically like stood on the bank and it fell in and then splashed before they could even unzip or anything. Right. But But that's yeah. another thing. There's rarely any sort of trauma besides I mean, the the first one that was burned and shit, but there's rarely trauma. Mm-hmm. And when you fall into something, there's there's a little bit of trauma. I've drunkenly fallen into bushes that I was trying to pee into and yeah. have cut cut the shit out of myself. And so I can see falling into a river. Rivers are filled with rocks, rocks and stuff. And, sharp rocks. I mean, yeah. I bruised myself all over the place uh, being out camping and up at the river. And yeah, like the current is... It's not deep. I mean, it can you can be in a really shallow spot where it's like not even up to your knees, but then all of a sudden the current gets strong enough and it just like kind of knocks you on your ass. Oh yeah, because it's slippery and, too. So. Yeah, and it's slippery as fuck. And I mean, I will have like bruises all over myself from you know slipping and falling on the rocks um, in the river while camping. So it's just, I mean, they have on their you know debunking paper as the absence of trauma is supposed to be. Uh, some way to to say that that um you know the smiley face theory doesn't pan out, but I I feel like sometimes like the absence of trauma is actually more of a red flag. Yeah, definitely. Because again, if you you fall into something, you're probably going to hurt yourself. Now, if maybe if the river is very deep and you're like walking across a bridge, there's less chance. But I feel like you'd even bruise yourself if you hit the water wrong or break something if you hit the water wrong. You know, falling right. twenty feet up. I mean. Yeah, and I mean, I can see where, yeah, like sometimes it takes a while for a bruise to develop, and if you die before that happens, you know, your blood circulation stops, uh, maybe that wouldn't be as apparent, but uh, probably some contusions, like scraping, like yeah, you know, your yeah. skin being scraped and stuff of that nature, that can easily happen and be present on the body after death. It does make some good points, and I didn't research every case right well i mean there's not a lot about every case that you can find i didn't find any one there's a couple of websites there's um a good one is uh footprints at the river's edge i did use that as a source on the chris jenkins case and i i didn't really look at it for this one but it did when I was putting some of the names in, it did kind of come up on my Google search. So I guess it is a blog that kind of keeps track of um, instances where uh, young men have been, you know, uh, assumed to have been drowned accidentally. And I even read through a couple um, and it's, it's interesting. So it's, that's a pretty good source to look at. Um, one thing I did look at though, because this paper made a point about, you know, how this couldn't be, uh, the work of a serial killer because it just didn't fit into any kind of profile. And it said very specifically that, um, there is, there is no known serial offender who has ever drowned victims. And I was just kind of thinking like, is that really true? It seems like such so, an easy way to kill people depending upon where you are. I mean, if you're right. someplace with water, it seems like, well, that's a – I mean, there's a murder weapon right there. <laughs> so I I did a quick Google search and, and I'm kind of disappointed at the people who, who contributed to this paper because, I mean, this was 2010. They had the internet. They had the internet. Google existed. It took, it took all of two seconds for it to come up with a guy who uh did drown his victims with a serial killer and uh you know I'm just going to I'm tell you real quick about this guy just cuz uh 
you know. These 2010 <laughs> paper writers just didn't do their due they diligence, do their, I guess. They did not. I'm I'm a little upset because right here, Dennis Nilsson, a.k.a. the Muswell Hill murderer and and also known as the kindly killer, I think, because he uh, just acted like he was like a nice guy and he was kind of like a ner- he's kind of like a Jeffrey Dahmer type in more ways than one. Uh-huh. Um, but but just kind of like, oh, Mustache. hey, <laughs> yeah. And glasses and was kind of like, oh, like transients kind of preyed on like, oh, here, I'll give you some alcohol or I'll give you some food or some shelter. You know, I'm a nice guy. Come to my house. He strangled and then drowned his victims, at least 12 young men. And I just went straight Wikipedia with this one. And then I, I checked one other site just to make sure that, you know, because it's all bullshit. Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think that was Ranker.com. Um, between 1978 and 1983, so 12 young men. Uh, most of them, I think the youngest was 14. The oldest was like 27. So young men, kind of like in this you know, age group that we're talking about. And he would lure them into their house and then kind of surprise attack them from behind. He would use a ligature to strangle them to the point of unconsciousness. And if they didn't die from the ligature strangulation, he would then drown them in a bathtub, sink, or a bucket of water. Any place they could get a head or a face. Yeah, and then I thought thought that was kind of weird, too, the ligature around the neck. I mean, that's not like an odd way to kill somebody. I mean, that's, you know, a pretty tried and true method. Right, right. But just the the fact that, like, on these bodies that there's often ligature marks around the neck. Yeah. But, yeah, so he would strangle them and then... Uh, drowned them, and then he would, after they were dead, he would continue to bathe the bodies. He shaved their chest. There was some dismemberment going on, uh, removal of the vital organs. Um, It's actually what got him caught was he was in a new apartment, and he used to have, like, access to a garden area, and he would, like, burn the internal organs after removing them. But uh, this new place, he didn't have a garden outdoor access, so he started, like, flushing the uh, huh. organs down the toilet, and which eventually stopped the toilets up. Yes. Yeah, and Drano and ain't going to take was care of like, that. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> you got a liver down here. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. It was, like, hunks of flesh. Um, He even, like, you know, wow. like, hands and stuff. They found, like, finger bones and stuff like that in the drain. That is so fucked up. Yeah, he boiled, like, at least the heads of at least three of his victims, so... What, to just you know, make a broth, or... Like, why do people boil <laughs> heads? It must be to make, like, he, like, a stock or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, human stock. Human stock. Um, he wanted to just you know, get the skin and the brain and all that stuff out of there. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he could like save it. He liked to, he liked to hang on to him for a long time. Did he make so, shit I mean, out of him? Or did he do like an Ed Gein thing? No, no, he didn't make anything out of him except for like a, like a living mannequin, I guess. Oh, well, that's kind of how, how he liked to have them. At least he there's would that. <laughs> preserve them as much as he could and then like cuddle with them. Oh yeah. It's pretty, that's pretty nice. Sick. Very nice. Sounds like a great guy. Yeah, yeah, he he engaged in some necrophilia too in case yeah. you guessed that. Um 
He was convicted and sentenced to life in prison uh, October 24th, 1983, and died May 12th, 2018. It is notable that he almost drowned as a child. <laughs> That's probably why he drowned people. Yeah, because he was panicking. Like his his grandfather had been a fisherman and had died when he was five. And one of his more vivid memories was seeing his dead body at the age of five at the funeral home. And then he, at like age nine or ten, he nearly drowned, and he was, you know, gasping for air that wasn't there and panicking. And then he had this uh, image of his grandfather coming to save him and felt this tranquility all of a sudden. And at that point, uh, another kid that was in the water actually managed to to drag him onto shore and saved his life. But I think he might have had a fixation. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, as I mean, I've almost drowned before and it is you get like that sense of tranquility. And it's usually I think that it's right before you're about to just like... Inhale Suck all, all the, the water, water into the water into your uh, lungs. Yeah, and because uh, you, you feel fine, you're just like, okay, well, I guess this is it, but this is going to be just fine. And it's probably like, you know, your your brain trying to protect your mind. But uh, mm-hmm. I got drug out of the water just by a, a employee at the place I was at, and uh, so that was cool because I didn't drown. <laughs> yeah, but like I can you're see that today and, then and all. <laughs> he sees, he felt that tranquility, and that's like maybe that's sort of he feels kind of bad for killing these people. So, in his own way, he's giving them a good death, a nice death, death because they're going to feel this tranquility before they die, and he yeah rapes their dead bodies. Yeah, I mean, I don't think um, you know his victims would have agreed with that, but you know, I feel like yeah, a better thing he- to do would just to be. Not a murderer. <laughs> yeah, that would probably be the best um, course of action, I think, is to just not kill people. Well, what about <laughs> aliens? Do you think aliens are taking people? You know, that's why there's no trauma and that's why, you know, there's there's, you know, no actual drowning. Maybe it's aliens picking people up and checking shit out and then dropping them back ah. all dead. I hadn't, but suddenly saying that, like, makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, we know I, there are I, aliens from, you know, our there, government. I mean, so. yeah, the government has <laughs> been pretty, pretty wide open about uh, sharing that information with us. As of days, late, although... they're like, sorry about the virus. Uh, we've got aliens, guys. Yeah, yeah. And then everyone's just like, we don't care. They're like, yeah, yeah <laughs> but, you know, we don't, we have to wear masks. And God damn it, I want my kids to go to school. Like, okay, right? but no, we've got aliens. We're like, fuck, fuck off with the alien shit. It's like, will you stop trying to distract us from the truth? Yeah. <laughs> stop trying to distract us from the truth with your truth. Yeah, you damn fools. It's like, I don't trust your truth. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I don't think that the smiley face has fuck all to do with these murders. I don't it's- know if these murders are even really related because of how they happen so in such a, a like a wide, uh, such a varied amount of places. But I also right. don't believe that they are what the authorities say they are. They're yeah, not no, accidental I think, drownings. I think something is happening. Uh, if you want to watch a like kind of a fictitious um, account in theory on the smiley face killings, there's actually um, this guy, Andrew Fitzgerald, made a mockumentary of it. So do not mistake it for an actual documentary because it doesn't say that it's a mockumentary. It kind of like sells itself. Like the Blair Witch kind of. Yeah, it's kind of like a found footage type where uh, Andrew Fitzgerald uh, 
starring himself uh, mysteriously disappears while he's doing a documentary on the smiley face killings. And then his friend, uh, after he goes missing, finds all of his uh, footage and, and stuff and eventually finds the footage of what he's believed to be his death is when he's meeting with this one guy. Now, on the cases that it studies, it's interesting because it actually takes um, aspects of the actual cases and just kind of changes like the names and dates and like, you know, has like stand in actors as the parents and stuff like that. Um, now the, the documentary kind of posited that maybe it's like a cult of, um, people that kind of get off on like autoerotic asphyxiation, except with like near drowning. Well, I guess it wouldn't be autoerotic because they're doing it to somebody else. Well, I guess, yeah. Unless, but, uh, unless it's the people that are found drowned that are doing the, that are like drowning themselves. But you think they would have pants on because there'd be some sort of jack off thing going on, you know? Right, right. But um, maybe it's it's that they like to to not only experience it but like to do it to other people and right, right. Maybe, maybe they're taking it, it maybe they're taking it a little too far and so they're drowning um, in one hand and jacking in the other <laughs> right and that and that they're it's it's a hard uh, it's such a unique subculture it's really hard to find um you know people to go along with it so that may be why they're being like kidnapped um kind of like how furries used to person. be yeah I don't want to talk about furries, okay? <laughs> God damn it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, think of like, you know, uh, eyes wide shut, but with like waterboarding. Totally, totally. <laughs> Instead of a mask, you bring your own rag. Yeah, totally. So that's how he's supposedly uh, murdered, uh, you know, air quotes here. is yeah, by, he's, yeah. he's, ta- he's interviewing somebody in this subculture about it and uh, dude just decides to off him. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not 100% sure I buy that either. Right. Um, now, uh, you know, going back to 2010 debunking paper here. Uh, yeah, it doesn't fit uh, the uh, a standard profile, but I, you know, I feel like we still have a lot to learn about the criminal mind. True. And, That's true. Maybe this is just you know, the next just because step in it. it Right. Just because it doesn't fit into any profile or behavior that we know of doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Could and, just be yeah. organized psychopaths, organized yeah. psychopathy. Yeah. Group because, psychopathy. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it just could, this could be just something new that we're looking at that we don't recognize. Uh, we, then that's why we can't really recognize it is because we haven't yet come across it. Humans are herd animals, and we're approaching like every day is a greater. There's a it's a bigger and bigger herd. So, who knows what sorts of things that are done within the herd to thin the herd? You know, right? I'm wondering if any of um the four investigators have uh, wondered about aliens. Probably, I mean, probably. Or maybe I mean, not. I know that they're maybe. not going to tell. Well, I mean, if they have, they're not going to tell anybody no. about it. Like because that invalidates, sure. you know, a yeah. Unfortunately, because it, you know, I, I do truly believe that there's aliens around. That it mm-hmm. sort of invalidates the theory because it 
is that because that's not a mainstream thing, really, aliens. Well, yeah, I mean, people are already thinking that they're crackpots uh, right. for what they're saying now, and then you throw in like maybe it's because they're being abducted by aliens. Then, then that you know, then Completely people are really not going to, yeah. Mm-hmm. But who knows? I mean, who knows what happened to these people? Because they're the only ones that do, and they ain't telling. And it's possible that they didn't right. even know, you know. And one thing I wanted to mention was that um, I feel like I don't know if it I don't think the paper itself said it, but there's been a lot of like some of the blogs I've read and and uh, the comments and stuff. There's been a lot of uh, speculation that like these parents um, that this is like them insisting that um, that their kid just didn't accidentally drown is some sort of way for them to cope with what's happened and it makes it easier on them to point the finger at somebody rather than just having to deal with the fact that their uh, kid got drunk and fell in a river and drowned and I personally think that that is not the case at all. I mean I have a kid that is that age right now and uh, let me tell you I mean to to have him die in an accident like that would be the worst thing imaginable, just the worst. But I would much rather, much rather have it be just a terrible, tragic accident to where, like, yeah, he had too much to drink, he stumbled, he fell, uh, he drowned, hopefully he didn't suffer that much, and then it was over. Um, the idea of somebody... Uh, kidnapping him and inflicting some kind of like mental or physical torture upon him before then purposefully killing him and putting him in the water. No, there's no kind like of that, closure there. I mean, there's no kind of closure and that doesn't make it better at all. Like, I don't think this is something where the parents are trying to, um, you know, it doesn't make it easier on them. No, not at all. No, I mean, I think the only reason they are trying to get people to listen to them and say something is not right is because genuinely something is not right and does not add up. Yeah. I think if there were, uh, if the all the evidence pointed to the fact that this is what happened, then okay, it's awful, but you know, you can you know, accept that and go on. And I think that would be uh, a much easier pill to swallow than the idea that somebody intentionally did this to your child like i agree i agree yeah so yeah i just felt like i had to put that out there because yeah. like no that you know as as a parent with a kid that age that there's just no way there's no yeah, way if, I, I would want to create that scenario and that would somehow make it better for me yeah why would you want to torture yourself <laughs> no not at all not at all and then there was one other thing. So we talked about Kevin Gannon uh, being part of that four-person team and the uh, global death investigations. They just so you know, I mean, he, he doesn't they don't just do smiley face uh, investigations. He actually has been um, a part of trying to. Uh, get a person uh, freed from jail that is currently on death row. So uh, Rodney Reed was uh, convicted for uh, a 1996 murder of 19-year-old Stacy Stites in Texas. He was scheduled to die on at least two different occasions, I believe in like 2015 and 2017. And based on the evidence that Gannon and some other um experts 
based on the evidence that they were able to find from like relooking at the crime, um, Rodney has now received an indefinite stay of execution. And this is in Texas. In Texas, they you go on death row, and they're I mean they're they're going to kill you. They're not they're not just in the business of granting. Right. It's not like California or something where you just sit there forever. You fucked up and now you're going to die. They practically have an express lane, you know, for, for, uh, for, uh, you know, executions. Um, So that's pretty major. It was actually featured on an A&E true crime show called Dead Again, and this was done in 2014. So 2014... Uh, the wheels of justice are moving slowly, but uh, Gannon looked at the crime scene photos like all of like ten minutes before he was like, "No, this is not right at all. This guy did not do it. None of this adds up." Um, yeah. So he does. Uh, he, you know, I think these guys are all like legit guys. That yeah, have... they're, they they're, they retired. They didn't. They mm-hmm. weren't made to retire. They didn't quit. They retired because. They had reached the time where they were allowed to retire, and instead of drinking beer and watching sports or whatever retired people do, they decided to continue investigating murders, and they continued to investigate these murders of these people in addition to, you know, taking on these new cases. Mm -hmm. And uh, no matter, I guess, what you think of cops— to continue doing the work when you're no longer allowed to shoot someone and you don't have the backing of a union and stuff speaks to the reason that you're doing it is because you're actually right. trying to help and you're actually trying to make a difference. Yeah. And I mean, I'm dedicated. sure they're getting paid for it, but oh, that yeah. doesn't invalidate anything at all. Like Mm-mm. why wouldn't you get paid for it? It's something you're doing. Like it's mm-hmm. it's something that you do well. I mean, of course you should get paid for it, and that I mean, getting paid for something shouldn't invalidate the reason behind why you're doing it. Absolutely. And if you wanted to read more about uh, Rodney Ring and sign a petition, um, for him to get a, a new trial because that still hasn't happened, they're not going to execute him anytime soon. But he is still sitting on death row. You can go to uh, freerodneyreed dot com. Last name R E E D. Yeah, R E E D. Great. Well, I think that pretty much brings us to the end here. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, take a look at our podcast syndicate we're a part of, ageofradio.org. You can find a ton of other great podcasts of all kinds of different varieties, from true crime to sports. So, uh, you know, check it out there's also some stuff you can buy so if you want to it's you know holiday season's coming up check it out uh, you can find us any place that we are on social media we're either there under stranger than or stranger than podcast our patreon is patreon.com slash stranger than podcast for two dollars a month you get ad free regular episodes for five dollars a month you get the ad free episodes in addition to a bonus true crime episode And I think with that, we will talk to you next time. And stay strange.